ಪ್ರಾಂಜಲಿ who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class uh, we were studying the 44th sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra as for the last few classes as uh, it's already been discussed the five yamas and the five niyamas the five restraints and the five observances as we have mentioned the restraints are like removing the weeds and observances are like the sowing of the seeds in the garden to have the garden flower flowering these are the two things which we have to take care of we have to remove the weeds and we have to sow the desired seeds so the restraints are the the yama the restraints are like the removing of the weeds and the niyama the observances are like the sowing of the seeds and of all those observances which we have studied starting starting with the shaucha shaucha santosha tapas swadhyaya ishvara pranidhana in the last few classes we have dealt dwelt with we have dealt with the shaucha the santosha and the tapas shaucha is the cleanliness which actually speaks of both the physical cleanliness as well as the mental cleanliness the external as well as the internal santosha is the contentment in the life the best way we can understand the term contentment is by using the phrase which swami vivekananda used again and again seek not avoid not in the life we have to take care of our responsibilities we cannot avoid them but at the same time we should always be aware of the fact that we shouldn't go on hankering more and more and more that will create unless restlessness a use that you will find that restlessness has been created because you are in a hedonistic treadmill that way hellish treadmill in a treadmill we constantly run but we go nowhere so in the life of constant desires it's always needed that we should take care of our needs as mahatma gandhi used to say that the world has sufficient resource to take care of our needs but it doesn't have sufficient resource to take care of our wants in the present world you will find that the depletion of all the natural resources is because of our unending wants it has sufficient resource to take care of our needs if we can distinguish between these two that what's our need what's our wants and try to build our life on the needs and try to get rid of the wants 
And that not only speaks of the balance in the environment, it speaks of the integrity of the personality. Because we will find in this life, as in the words of Swami Vivekananda, that eternal chase for these unending desires is what, in his words, ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. We go on running. We can never reach this unending, this, uh, this chase for the desire is what speaks of the lack of contentment. That this, as we were studying, that the bliss is within. The santosha, the basic principle of santosha is that we are sat chit ananda swarupa, that bliss is something within. No happiness in this life comes from outside. When you are intensely desiring something, and you get it. We have the notion that it is the object that gives us happiness. It never happens actually so. What it happens actually, when my mind is intensely desiring something, my mind is extremely turbulent. There's a huge wave. I want it, I want it, I want it. The moment you get it, just for the time being, the mind is tranquil. It is a disturbance of the mind which doesn't allow the self to permeate through your body, mind, senses. The moment that let go ensues because of the fulfillment of the desire, the bliss which is within, that permeates through your mind and senses. It is the bliss within which is constantly being filtered out by the worries and tensions. The moment a desire is fulfilled, there's a blessed moment for the time being that let go has ensued. The mind is tranquil. The bliss is coming from within. And I think the object has given me happiness. And that's the eternal chase going on. What's the eternal chase going on? I think that the external object has given me happiness. And again, I go for the same thing. This is the hedonistic treadmill. It leaves me dissatisfied. If I would have known that the bliss is within, the only way is not to allow the mind with full of worries and tensions to filter off that bliss. Keep it tranquil. The bliss constantly is your property. It is constantly is something which is emanating from within your psyche. It's behind that bliss is there. So the one who has learned that trick, that's what in Bhagavad Gita they say, yoga, karma, sukoshalam. That the real trick, the real clever person is the one who has understood that and keeps and all keeps the mind tranquil, not eternally chasing after the desires. And that actually enables the bliss to become a permanent factor in his life. And that speaks of contentment. From the contentment comes eternal bliss. And the next thing was the tapas. From tapas, what comes in the last class we were studying, that your body becomes healthy and fit. We were just saying, that in life, restraint is required. Why? That you will find that because in the, in the modern age, everything is easily available, the junk food and all our, this, they say our internet, constantly it is disturbing your mind and filling your body with all sorts of impurities. A little tapas in the form of fasting, and the nowadays, you will find that the intermittent fasting has become very popular. 
that it helps you to cleanse your system so that the health which is something innate health is not something which is to be acquired our system by itself has the capacity to remain healthy if we can get rid of the deterrent factors it's not that the health is something which has to be acquired from outside in the form of good food and uh, these nutrients they are of course needed but the real health is something which is the force of the nature which emanates if we can get rid of the deterrent factors which is not allowing the health to manifest just to give that in the last class also we were giving example that in the form of junk food what is happening at last your blood is getting uh, what is saturated with cholesterol that in the at last it is blocking your arteries it is affecting your heart what is tapas if i take care of my food if i take care of my lifestyle habits i can cleanse off my blood from all those ox these are these oxidants all those cholesterol and the health is something which is not acquired it is within you all the moment you did the all the deterrent factors are removed the stress factors are removed the growth ensues from a bacteria till the human being for a any creature to sustain its life there are two factors one is growth and another is a protection this two never goes hand in hand when we are in the growth mode the protection mode has to be subdued and when we are in the protection mode the growth mode has automatically get subdued so when you are intensed your adrenaline rush what is happening that immediately after the food if you are tensed what will happen you cannot digest why because when i am tensed when i am scared the adrenaline pump in the system is pushing my blood is uh, is just uh, pushing my blood to the periphery to the limbs by and obstructing it from the going to the digestive system that we will we find that immediately after the food be filled with lethargic why the entire blood rushes to the digestive system as there is not sufficient blood to going to your brain to the other part of the organ you feel drowsy but that is good it takes you to the growth mode but when you are tensed you sacrifice your digestion so why is that the, all the blood is rushing to the periphery because in the process of evolution we have seen that when we are tensed when we are attacked by the predator we have to run so that's that's the time i can take care of my digestion later first let me have to run so i immediately go to the protection mode and the growth mode gets compromised that's happening again and again so this two can never run together in the present world we are in that the tension is constant that for a, for the for the crisis if the tension is there it is good it helps me to protect myself but if that tension is prolonged it never ends that instead of helping me actually is degenerating me that's why that's why the present civilization is called the civilization which is in the get set mode what does it mean the get set mode that when i am about to run i'm taking part in a race and we are all just have start we are standing on the mark on your marks and the one who is just going to give the whistle told us get set so we are just about to run there's a 
tremendous adrenaline rush because we have to win the rest and just waiting to hear the word go and it is never pronounced. So that's the situation of the present civilization. We are in the get set mode. The adrenaline rush has ensued, but there is no end to it. And that becomes the deterrent factor that once because of the tension, the adrenaline uh, is being pumped out, your health is, the protection is getting obscured. The more I can be relaxed, the more I can go to the growth mode, the body by itself rejuvenates. So that's how tapas helps us to maintain the health, health, maintain the, uh, our good physique by keeping our indriyas. That's what we studied, that our body, our senses strong. That's how tapas helps. And then we studied in the last class, the swadhyaya, the 44th. Swadhyaya is the repetition. It's very interesting. We always say that all the religions, as per the practices are concerned, as per their theology is concerned, they are so different. It's only because we don't know to see, we don't know to see the common factors. The swadhyaya is the common factor in all the religion. What is the swadhyaya? Repetition. You go to the church, you go to any mosque, you go to any shrine, the prayers may be different. But what they do, the same prayer they repeat. The same mantra is repeated again and again. In all the religious tradition, it is done. And that is the thing. Even if you're an atheist, the thing which we can learn from the religious tradition is this repetition, how it helps us. In the modern uh, psychology, they speak of neuroplasticity. The thing which you do again and again, again and again, again and again, as if creates a groove in your mind. And once the groove is created, you start liking it. First, it was a challenge. When I was started, I have to use my willpower to do it again and again. There was no liking for it. But as the once the groove is formed, now I start liking it. An obsession develops. All our liking develops that way. All our liking. That we say that Ramakrishna again and again in the gospel is saying Kamini Kanchan Maya. Lust and gold is the deterrent factor in our life. Why? They are actually the thing without which life cannot be thought of. Without wealth, I cannot sustain myself. Without lust, there cannot be propagation of life. Then why it has been called a deterrent factor? Ramakrishna is again and again saying. It's not pessimism. You just see what has happened. That's from a microbe to the human being. Those are the two basic things which we have to resort to. And now that necessity has become an obsession by constant reputation. It has created so deep groove in our psyche that we have started liking it so much that it has become an obsession. We overdo it. We forgot the necessity. We have just got obsessed. As a result, what happens? You go to you just open any news channel, you go to the newspaper and just see the crime. There won't be a single crime which at last cannot you cannot boil down either to this Kamini and Kanchan, lust and gold. It has to boil down there. What has happened? Necessity has got converted into obsession. So this is how the mind is spirally taking us downwards. How can I use this limitation of mind as an advantage? By taking something sublime, a sublime idea, 
a divine idea. And I am repeating, I have, a con- I have developed a conviction over it. And now I start repeating it again and again in the form of mantra. This creates a groove in your mind. And now you will find gradually that the will is getting converted into your emotion. This is a human faculty which no one can do. In every field of life, as a human being, the more we can convert the will into emotion, the more we can know what real love is. The present world has forgotten what's the real love. They just give the importance to the emotion. Even animals also have emotions. But as a human being, what makes us something distinct from the animals? Just take the marriage. In a marriage, first the vows are given importance, resolutions. And if as a human being, I can guide my life as per the resolution, my life will be integrated. That resolution comes first, the emotion comes after that. The more I can guide my emotions with the will, the more my life is integrated. Anyone can understand. In every field, a politician, has the passion to serve the nation. But again, for him also, some certain guidelines are there. Whenever he's going to take the charge as a minister, he has to read out some vows, some resolutions. In every country it is there. As a player, when you're going to have just start the game in Olympics, in any game, first there's a vows. A doctor before starting his practice has to have to take some oath. Your passion has to be guided by your will. This is the wonderful faculty by which the same mind which takes us spirally downwards by converting the need to obsession. I can just revert this, its direction and it can now help me to take spirally upwards. There's this new obsession is also an obsession. This will help me to this, counter, this counter all other obsessions which is taking me downwards. How? But this is a this new obsession is something which is very wonderful. What is wonderful? What is the uh, speciality about it? You will find all other obsessions which we have developed through the process of my evolution is paratantra, is dependent on something external. Whether it is my relation, whether it's wealth, whether it's name and fame. It's dependent on something external. Till I get it, there's a constant worry, constant tension. I may not get it. I may not get the wealth I want. I may not get the position in life which I want. I may not be successful in the relations which I want. There's a tension. There's a concern. And when I get it, that concern is not over. Again, the concern is there. What I've got, I may lose it. My bank balance may dwindle. My relations may fall off my position in life, that may, be da- that may get damaged, my reputation may get damaged. So this always, all the obsessions are actually tagged with the concerns, with the worries, with the tensions. And this new obsession is something which is Swatantra. What is that new obsession? That I have resorted to the name of the Lord. How it helps me? Immediately, it helps me to transcend this so-called sunset layer of level of existence. That I am essentially the spirit. The Lord is essentially the spirit. And the spirit is contemplating on the spirit and how it is transcending the sunset world. The sunset world, always the idea is there. My existence is limited by time. 
At certain point, I was not there. At, after that, a certain point of time, I won't be there. But as the moment I think of my the conscious state of existence, I was, I am, I will be. That's the best way to get rid of all the concerns and tensions, that all the challenges are the passing phase of life. I can easily transcend them by relating to my real nature. And when I'm constantly contemplating on that and have developed an obsession for that, this is something Swatantra. No one can take away from me. This practice, it is always with me. No one can take away from me. As a result, what happened? You have created a road. There are so many roads in your mind. I have created a road which has no crossroads. When your desires are depending on something external, you're bound to be in crossroads. Your desire is may contradict others' desire. Maybe just uh, they may be clashing each other's desire. You are as if in the traffic. But this new desire, it just enables you to be with you. No one can enter there. In the words of Mirabai, how nice this wealth is. It never gets expensed out, expended. No one can steal it from you. And the more you practice, the more the groove is deepened, the more is the bliss which ensues from it. And thus, as a result, what happens? You have created a freeway. All other roads are just going through the traffic. This is a freeway. There is no junction. Once you get a freeway, why should you go through the traffic? No one will prefer to go through the traffic if there's a freeway. So once this path is created, this freeway is created, the other paths automatically fall off. And Gradually, you find this practice is becoming more and more intense and it enables you to enter into a state of flow. And that, with that flow, it goes to such an extent when the ego falls off and that takes you to the ultimate spiritual realization. This, uh, what you say that uh, your neuroplasticity at last ends in that flow. How that flow, what that flow means? In our day-to-day -day life, we will find when the moment I get something which I really like, I'm passionate about, it makes my mind so focused, so concentrated, the other thing falls off. A classical singer singing throughout the night is not getting tired. Why, how it happens? As his mind is totally focused on the music, even that portion of the mind, which is required to take care of the hunger, of the thirst, of tiredness. These are all alarms, biological alarms. The mind has to be connected to that biological alarm that has fallen off. Everything has been taken by your object of concentration. As a result, you don't feel hunger. You don't feel thirst. Though you are in the body, you feel as if you are without the body. And that gives you a bliss, which no sensitive pleasures can give you. The delicacy which I'm enjoying, the moment I am satiated, but my happiness is over. It is very limited. But when you enter into a flow, that bliss is something which as if has no end, you can continue. So once your will gets converted into emotion and that in turn gets, uh, that becomes a flow, at last what happens when I'm meditating, however, how intense the concentration may be, I have the idea that I am meditating. Why I have that idea? Because a portion, a small portion of the mind is keeping the ego intact. 
constantly the thought, I, 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 which is emanating. To keep that I intact, a portion of my mind is required. When the flow becomes extremely intense, that I is taken away. Your mind becomes just identified with the object of meditation. I am meditating, that thought also falls off. You become as if one with the object of meditation. That's the samadhi which has been spoken of in our scripture, where dhyana, dhyata, dhyaya, this triad collapses. I become one with the object of meditation as the ego has fallen off. And then that the wonderful thing happens. The moment the ego falls off, that alone is realization. That the amnes, which at present is localized, constantly I am thinking that if I close my eyes, if I close my ears, if I close all my senses, I cannot get rid of that sense of I, 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 which I am constantly repeating. It is constantly there. It is emanating from a center, from somewhere I'm sitting, it is emanating from this body-mind complex. When that I falls off, that amnes becomes non-local. The Atman and Brahman are one. The same Atman, the same localized consciousness immediately becomes Brihat. The word Brahman means something Brihat. That amnes is no more localized. That takes you to that ultimate realization. That's why it has been told Swadhyayat Ishta Devata Samprayoga that we were studying in the last class. That whatever, that each and every form of the divine on which I am meditating is as if creating a hole in the wall of your ego. The ego is the wall which is not allowing me to see the reality. I create a hole and through that hole I peep and I see eternal expanse, eternity. The one who has chiseled out the form of Krishna says Krishna is eternal. Krishna is the ultimate reality. The one who has chiseled the form of Rama, he says Rama is the ultimate reality. In the wall of ego, as long as my imagination is uh, creating that, what you say, that image, it is still an imagination. With that imagination, I am just chiseling out a form as if in the wall of ego. When the chiseling is complete, that leads in the realization. That, I have, that my visualization is a chiseling. It's constantly chiseling. I'm chiseling it out, that shape, as if that life has is the thing on which I'm meditating. Those concepts are the thing which I'm chiseling out in the form of visualization. And at last, when the chiseling is complete, it has created the whole, I'm peeping through that. That becomes a framework through which I peep to the same eternity. And that's the speciality, the uniqueness of Ramakrishna. He in his life chiseled so many holes to say, Jatomoth, Tatapoth. All the paths lead to the same goal. At last, we are all doing the same thing. Why that question of one-sidedness comes? Because we have just chiseled one hole, we peep through it and say, this alone is eternal. Actually, we are peeping into the same eternity through all those frameworks which or through which which is actually our visualization. So Swadhyaya speaks of that. So that's how, how nicely it has been told, Swadhyayat Ishta Devata Samprayoga. It helps you to have communion. It's not just mere imagination. It's a communion with your desired deity, with the object of your meditation. So that's the thing which has been spoken of as Swadhyaya. So now we will 
Let's go to the next sutra, the sutra 45th sutra, which speaks of the last uh, niyama, that's the last observance. In, in the sequence of five observances, what is that? The Ishwara Pranidhan. So what's the result if one gets established in Ishwara Pranidhana has been spoken of in the 45th Sutra. So let us read the Sutra and then we will just discuss on it. Samadhi Siddhi Ishwara Pranidhanat. From devotion to God, Samadhi is attained. To certain that extent we have discussed in the 44th Sutra that how that Samadhi is attained through special de the devotion to God. But when we speak of Ishwara Pranidhana, it is not just ordinary devotion. It actually speaks of Sharanagati, surrender. In the present age, Ramakrishna is saying it is in the present age, Kali Yuga, uh, human beings are annagata prana. Many translate it as that as if without food I cannot live. Without food, no one can live in any age. Then why is Ramakrishna saying annagata prana? Very interesting. The present age is something very interesting. See how that what's the human evolution? If you just think of the human evolution, how it has happened that we were food gatherers. And when we learned agriculture, we, we became food producers. Once we became food producers, now laser came into picture, laser. That for four months, I was cultivating the field. I have sufficient now this crops in my granary. I don't have to think of food for the rest of the year. Now what I do with my time, the culture came into existence, art, craft, literature. Everything came with the laser. That when I have nothing to do, this particular peoples who are specialized in these things, they kept me engaged. We, that's how the culture came into existence. The moment we, from the food gatherers, we became the food producers. The entire civilization actually speaks of more and more laser, how to get more and more laser. But the big paradox is with all the development at last, See how, how science have developed. We have the, uh, this dishwasher, we have the washing machine. So we have extremely, there's so much scope for laser. But do we really have laser? See the paradox. In search of laser, we have came, we have ended up where just to earn my bread from morning till evening, I'm running, having no time for laser, any laser. Now, how to think, how can I think of just sitting down and doing swadhyaya? That throughout the day I can do, I'm doing japa, meditation. You may say these are all outdated. I cannot even think of that. So here for us, this Ishwara Pranidhana is a thing which is very suitable. This is the thing which Ramakrishna told Girish. When he asked Girish, can you take the name of the Lord? He told no, because my throughout the day, that I'm so busy, I cannot ascertain that I will be free even for a moment. When Ramakrishna is saying, at least take the name once, for that also is denying. And then Ramakrishna is saying, okay, then give me the responsibility. 
And Girish immediately agrees to it. What's the science behind it? Ishwara Pranidhana means you have totally resigned to the divine. You don't clutch to anything. That even the expectation that sitting for, that I sit in meditation and the bliss will come. That also I don't expect. I just, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm meditating or I'm work, doing my work, the sense is that, that in this situation, God has kept me. It is not that I, it is by my own will I am there. If we all judge our life, we will find that however we may try, we can never channelize our life in such a way that whatever we desire, it takes its own course. At last, we have to agree there is some higher force, whether you name it God or whatever it may be, that is channel, this, uh, channelizing our life. So we are in a particular position for which we have no control. So there comes the question of seek not, avoid not. The Lord has kept me in this situation. I take care of the responsibilities. I don't go on hankering, but at the same time, I don't avoid. I take care of the responsibilities. And another thing I always I have, that I take, I'm always in the present. I take care of my responsibilities without the worry that what is going to happen tomorrow. Let me take care of my responsibilities and give that, that, that totally resigned to the divine, that Lord, that, that I don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Even by worrying, I cannot change. Worrying is like just a rocking chair. You do something, you go nowhere. You just go on, just rocking. It takes you nowhere. So what's the use of doing it? You leave it in the hands of the divine. Be at present. If I can control my present, the future automatically will be controlled. I resign to the divine. I seek not, I avoid not, and I don't go on hankering, trying to change my future and leave it in the hands of the divine after taking care of all the activities which I have to do in the present in a perfect way. If I can do that, that enables me in a sense of to have a let go in my life. That is very important. It can take you to Samadhi. How? Very interesting. Those who meditate, you'll find a very wonderful thing. That for days together, I am meditating every day, expecting that some bliss should come. Nothing happens. And one day, just as per your practice, as you do it every day, as per your habit, you sit for meditation. You never expected. And suddenly a bliss ensues. And now again, that hankering comes. Oh, so now I have attained this bliss. So it is going to be with me forever. Next day, again, you sit for meditation. No more bliss. Gone. You don't know again when it will come. This is this. Anyone who has meditated will and has got the bliss now and then will agree to this fact that it is not in our hand. Suddenly we get it and it's gone. Why it happens? Very interesting. What happens, you know, that suppose you have climbed up a tree and you are holding onto a branch. Now, if you want to fall, no effort is required. You just have to leave the hold of the branch. The gravity will just simply pull you down. In our life, what happens? We are holding to the branch of the tree of sansara. So many branches, name, fame, relationships, wealth. All these are the branches we are clinging to. And suddenly we find that the branch, this all, the, the branch which I'm clinging to is giving me pain. There are a lot of ants or something, whatever it may be. 
And what I do, now I cling to another branch. I name it God and try to cling to it. So I've just released the hold of one branch and I am just holding to another branch, which I have just designated as God. But again, the same thing. I'm still clinging to it. All this clinging has to go for the real spiritual realization. Just the way when you leave the hole, gravitation pulls you down in spiritual life. We are clinging to the ego. Everything is at last related to this ego. My, my, my relations, my wealth, my name and fame. At last, I and my God. This relation with the ego has to fall. And when it falls, you are pulled up by grace as if the grace is always there. The moment you can leave the hole, the grace is always there to, to pull you up to your spiritual uh, identity. It is bound to happen. The grace, the, that's why Ramakrishna used to say, the wind of grace is always flowing. You just raise the cell. If you don't raise the cell of your boat, that the wind won't, the cell cannot catch the wind. Your boat cannot move. You just move, just raise the cell. The wind is always blowing. So here also in this example, the grace is always flowing. It is only because we are clutching to the branches of this samsara without that ego that we are never, we can never realize that our real identity. All the spiritual practices at last is to bring that sharanagati. We say we have resigned to the divine, but it is just a lip service we are doing. The real resignation has not come. The moment the real resignation comes, you are bound to just get identified with your real nature. You, by grace will pull you up. As it has not ensued, we are still clinging. In our spiritual life, we will find a very interesting thing that Ramakrishna is saying, that all the spiritual practices is just for getting the wings tired. So at last the wings get tired. How the wings get tired? He gives a very nice example. A bird was sitting in the mast of a ship. It was sitting on the mast of a ship. And the ship was in the deep waters of the ocean. And then uh, it wanted to go to the shore. The bird started flying towards the east, couldn't find any shore, came back, sat on the mast. Then it started flying on the west, couldn't get shore. Again, came back, sat on the mast to the north, to the south, couldn't find any shore. It was tired. Now it came and sat on the mast without any effort, with a full resignation. Let the ship take me wherever it takes. This is the idea of resignation. All the practices are to get your wings tired, nothing else. And then the pure resignation comes. And when the resignation comes, immediately we are as if. We get identified with the, our the spiritual identity. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna very nicely used to say that all the spiritual practice at last entails in the annihilation of the ego. When someone asked him, when shall I be free? Immediately his answer was, when I cease to be. Ami mukto habo kabe. He answered, ami jabe jabe. So this Dissolve the, the dissolution of the ego can happen through the flow, which we were speaking in the Swadhyaya, 
And it can easily happen through this Ishwara Pranidhana. And this is the thing which is for us in this age. Ishwara Pranidhana is devotion to God, but it is a special type of devotion. It doesn't speak of just sitting down and meditating from morning to night. I may be doing whatever I'm doing, but that sense of resignation is there. The worries and tensions has fallen off. A let go has ensured. And you will find that though your body is busy with all the activities, your mind is completely at bliss. You feel the presence of the divine at each and every moment of your life. There's nothing remains secular. Everything becomes spiritual. That's what Swami Vivekananda used to say, that if we really know to practice spirituality in your life, this so-called watertight compartment of secularism and spirituality is bound to fall off. Everything gets pervaded with the spirituality. 24 by 7, our spiritual life becomes 24 by 7. There's no gap. There cannot be any part-time spirituality. If we have to be spiritual, it has to be 24 by 7. And it speaks more of the attitude than of any practice. And that attitude, of course, again comes through the practice. So that way, practice the Purushakar and the Gripa, both go hand in hand. At last, the grace has to take over. But it comes through the practice. When that real Sharanagati comes, resignation comes, now the grace takes over. So that's what has been spoken of as Samadhi Siddhi Ishwara Pranidhana. Now, we may think that it is very easy. Ishwara Pranidhana. Why not we all try? We can just skip all the steps that all the eight limbs of yoga. So here we will find the commentary Vyasa has told that it's not so. It's not a shortcut. The one who is practicing Ishwara Pranidhana, even without his knowing, he will be following all the this, the practices of the eight limbs of the yoga. It is automatically, spontaneously, all the practices ensues. You may not be doing it consciously, but it ensues. It's not that you can just simply jump off. There's all those practices, instead of doing consciously, they become spontaneous. So that's the speciality of Ishwara Pranidhana. So if we can really resign, that's what Ramakrishna told Girish, which is so appropriate for us also. That in our busy life, if we can really have that sense of resignation to the divine, it can be a spontaneous way. I won't say an easy way. It's a spontaneous way for our spiritual growth. So with this, the five this yamas and the five niyamas, the discussion on the five yamas and the five niyamas uh, concludes with this 45th sutra. Now the next limb of the yoga the asana, the eight limbs, as we have already told, yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, and pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and then the samadhi. These are the eight limbs. So till now we have covered the yama and the niyama. Now the third, the asana. This asana is the thing which we have to be aware of what it is. So 46th sutra defines asana, what it is. Sthiram, Sukham, Asana. That all the Hatha Yoga Asanas, which we know, they have some therapeutic effect. It is actually not the Asana which has been spoken of in the Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Here the Asana is just Sthiram, Sukham, Asana. You have to be motionless, Sthiram, 
If the body goes on moving, you can never have qualitative meditation. It should be just motionless and at the same time relaxing. When sometimes we want to keep the body motionless, it becomes stiff. That again, it cannot help you in meditation. It should be relaxing at the same time motionless. Why it is important? The relation between the body and the mind is just like a cup filled with some liquid. The cup is the body and the liquid is the mind. If the cup is motionless, the water is also still. If you move the cup a little, immediately the water gets turbulent. So that's how our body and the mind is related. They are riveted. When the mind is calm, even you will find in our day-to-day life it happens. When your mind is extremely restless, you cannot sit in one place. You will simply just moving up and down. When you are tensed because of some uh, challenges you have faced in your working place and you find that you cannot sit calmly, you're just moving up and down. Your body is restless. When the mind is restless, the body is restless. So so we take the help of this rivet in an opposite way. Even when the mind is restless, I make it a point that first let me keep my body still, relaxed. It will, to to a certain extent, relax my mind. This is very important. That's why I still remember uh, when uh, I was in Ramakrishna Mission School as a a teacher for 12 years i was this related with this i was uh, in various schools just dealing with the students and sometimes we used to feel very hopeless that what all we are doing here as such as if no changes in the student yeah, from outside it may seem that, that they are so calm and quiet but those who are dealing with them constantly we face so much of challenges so one day i still remember when i was in a tribal area in Arunachal Pradesh in school uh, when our senior Swami came and we, I was just relating to him our that sense of hopelessness. A very nice thing he told. Uh, are there medita- this, uh, prayer hours in the morning and the evening? Um, yes. Do the student go there? Yes. Do they sit there for half an hour or 15 minutes? Um, yes. But know it for certain you have achieved a great thing. Just to make is these children, you ask any of the so-called householders, those who are bringing up their children at house and ask them to make their child sit for five minutes, 10 minutes. And just ask them whether they're successful. 99% of them will say it is almost impossible. When they have not started walking, the parents were constantly concerned that when, when, they, when they will learn to walk, and now when they learn to walk and run, now you don't know how to make them sit. It becomes almost impossible. So that's the condition of our this psyche. It's constantly restless. So if you have somehow made the boys sit for half an hour in the morning and the evening, you know it for certain, it itself is a great achievement. And we really feel it that in our day-to-day life, that simple practice, that I was not only teaching in the Ramakrishna mission, I was myself a student of Ramakrishna mission. And I can easily compare with the others that this, how much calmness it gives you, that stability it gives you, this capacity even to just to sit quietly. Many people just kind of think of it. 
So that's the thing which has been spoken of. If you can do that to a great extent, you have already taken control of your mind because the mind and the psyche are riveted. So sthiram sukham asram. So when I have to practice meditation, I have to calm down my mind. I've understood that's the basic thing for all spiritual practices to calm down the monkey mind. So what, how to do it? The first step is state motionless. Don't allow the body to move. But at the same time, it shouldn't get stiff. It should be sukham, relaxing. So what does it mean? That straight, the scripture says, Three runnata, the neck, the shoulders, and the head. These three should be in the straight line. Don't stretch the spine. Many in the name of sitting straight, stretches the spine. It should be relaxed. How to ensure that my body is relaxed? When I'm sitting straight, I should feel that the weight of the body is on the ribs, not on the spine. But at the same time, the ribs are not curved in. It is not bent in. It is straight. I'm sitting straight. The weight is on the ribs, not on the spine. I'm relaxed. And the shoulders, the neck, and the head is in a straight line. So then you can be assured of the fact that that is the best possible posture in which you can sit for long, totally relaxed and motionless. Try not to move as much as possible. So this is the thing which is very important. The spine should be straight because you all will just agree to the fact that all our the nerve currents are passing through the spine. That is the main channel through which all the nerve currents are passing. The moment you are bent, you are obscuring the nerve currents to pass through unhindered. You just obscure it. So it should be for meditation, for any focus, the spine should be stretched. But at the same time, it shouldn't be stretched. It shouldn't, it should be relaxed. So this is the basic practice of this asana. Sthiram, Sukham, Asana. It should be motionless and relaxed. So after that, this, the, the 47 sutra speaks of what? That how to attain this, how to get established in it. It speaks of that it is just not something physical. It has something to do with our mind. That what's the mental aspect which enables us to keep my body motionless and relaxed? That is being spoken of in the 47 sutra. What it is? Prayatna Saithilya. Ananta Samapatibhyam. The relaxation of effort is Prayatna Saithilya. It is the one thing that I am not, I am just relaxed. The best way you think your body is just like a camphor. If you just keep camphor in open air, after some time, what will happen? The camphor is no more visible. It has totally sublimated. So think like that that your body is like a camphor. At present, it has as if a form, it has a center of locality. It is gradually effusing, it is merging. That is ananta samapattibhyam. The only disease is localization. You will find that when you say I'm healthy, when you are not aware of any particular part of your body, 
A small child is healthy because the health is throbbing through the entire body. It falls down, gets some bruises, it's not aware. It comes back after playing, the mother sees the cut. Where have you fallen? How have you cut? He doesn't know. So much of life force, health. When we feel that we are diseased, when that, uh, what you say, that your life force starts getting localized. As I get older, I start saying, I have headache. I have heartache. I have pains in my knees. The life force which was permeating the entire body is now getting as if localized in your head, in your heart. You're aware only of that part of the body. And that speaks of dis-ease. Ease has gone. No more ease. When it was throbbing through the entire body, you were at ease. Where it's getting localized, it is disease. So just in the same fashion, spiritually, we are all diseased. Because constantly we feel, I am localized within this body-mind complex. To make your asana perfect. So this mental practice is very important. What is that? That I am no more localized in this body. Think of the infinite as if you are everywhere. Ramakrishna used to say that visualize that you have become a fish and you are swimming in the ocean, which has no end, no boundaries, with full bliss, or like a bird you're flying in the sky. These all visualizations speaks of ananta samapattibhyam. The more you can go out of the body sensation, the more your asana becomes perfect. You no more are aware of this just small, your this body bodily existence. It starts permeating the entire existence. You may feel that just it's mere words, but there's a definite practice for it. The practice is mindfulness. Just I will just give an example that how the mindfulness works. You sit for meditation. After some time, as I'm not habituated, I start that feeling a little pain in my knees. But I make it a point that I will feel it, but not react to it. Let it pain. I will try to think this pain is something which I am seeing. It is not me who is having the pain. The pain is there. I am observing. Try to be a detached observer of the pain without trying to mend it. Don't move your legs. Just think that it is the pain. I'm just observing it. it. It is something which is very common. And now some other, if you, how will you understand that you have, gotten, you have got established in this practice? Very interesting. It happens with any novice, those who practice mindfulness. You are observing the pain and trying to be detached to it. And suddenly sub, just say, there's an external noise, a bird chirps. And suddenly you realize you are observing both the thing objectively. Same way that this pain is also become objective, that bird which is chirping is also objective. And that gives you the immediate the sensation that the ego boundary, which is constantly keeping me within the skin, skin is the boundary, that beyond the skin is something which is not me. Within the skin is something which is me that falls off. And then if this, what do you, what do you say? That the sense of this, the ego boundary starts diffusing. 
and this helps you to stabilize your body. The body gets relaxed by thinking of ananta, this uh, something which is uh, omnipresent, something beyond this your body-mind complex. So this localization of consciousness alone is the disease. With the help of this type of visualization, you can get established in asana. The physical aspect, first, they th- uh, just uh, in the previous sutra, they spoke of, they try to sit motionless, relaxed, and then the pod pain is bound to come. But that, with the help of that mindfulness, try to just expand it in such a way that the limitations falls off as if you are everywhere. With this, gradually you will find that you are getting established in asana. And then what happens? We have already discussed. Tata dvandva anabhighataha. The dvandva, the opposites in the form of pleasure and pain, they no more affect you. You transcend them. How you transcend them? Just by observing. As Sri Ramakrishna, when he was suffering, when anyone is to ask that, Sir, how are you? He used to say, Shorir tar dukkho jane, mon tumi anunde The body knows it's suffering. Oh, mind, be at bliss. That total objectification of the body has happened. The mind has become separate from the body. As Ramakrishna used to say, that as you evolve spiritually, what are the things which happen? That when I'm evolving spiritually, I am becoming like a ripened coconut. That's what he used to say. There are coconut which is unripe. You cannot separate the shell from the kernel. They're all intertwined. The more it gets ripe, you take a ripe coconut in hand and just shake it, you will find that the shell has got separated from the kernel. So here you have developed that subjective awareness, which is totally disidentified even from the body, bodily senses. So the pleasure and pain falls off. So here one very important thing. The spiritual, the, any spiritual evolution doesn't speak of anesthesia. We sometimes think that by going to the deep meditation, that I will just forget about all the bodily pains and feelings. No. Yes, of course, when you enter the flow, you forget. But you cannot remain in that state always. When you come down, still you can maintain that calmness. How? By this disidentification. You're constant, you're alert of the pain, but you're not identified with it. This is, uh, has been actually demonstrated even in the life of Swami Turiyananda, the direct disciple of Ramakrishna. He developed few, this uh, uh, boils in his back. And the doctor suggested that he has to have some surgery operation. Now, for surgery, he has to he has to be, uh, you know, that uh, sedated with the anesthesia. But being a realized soul, he was totally hated that idea that he has to be um, anesthetized. He told, "No, I won't. I don't want to be anesthetized. That I don't want to be sedated." Then, then how we can operate? Then he simply told, "Just before operation, tell me and give me some time, and then you can operate." And that's what was done. And the doctors were amazed that as if he has no pain. Without anesthesia, he had to go through a couple of surgery. And it was something very amazing even for the doctors. 
And when it was asked, this, this is the thing he told her, it is not that I am not aware of the pain. When the doctor told that you have to go through the surgery, he was able that he took that time to practice that awareness where he's as if separate from the body. The pain is there, he's observing, it is not his. It is not anesthetic. It is real mindfulness where you have totally disidentified from your body, mind, senses. And when that happens, all the opposites as if fall off. Tata dwanda anabhighata. From there arises the immune immunity from the dwandas, the opposite. Dwanda means opposite in the form of pleasure and pain. So that's what we were speaking in that the previous example. To repeat it, a monk is meditating. The knee starts aching. He goes on object observing it objectively without moving. And then a bird chips. That is also observed. And then the pain and the chipping of the bird equally becomes objective. That's how the ego has fallen off. And that's how you can get established in the asana. At the beginning, that little uncomfort, pain will be there. But we have to persevere to get established in asana. And then only that asana siddhi happens. And when that happens, now you can think of meditation for longer and longer period. The body won't be there to disturb you. It has just become like a corpse. It's no more disturbing you anymore. So that's why the establishment, the Siddhin Asana is very important. And that's what has been dwelt with in the last three sutras. The 49th sutra will speak of the pranayama. And this is the pranayama. The yoga pranayama is something different from the Hatha yoga pranayama which we generally understand as pranayama. What the pranayama of the yoga is, which actually helps us in meditation, that will be spoken of in the 49th, 50th and 51st sutra. That we will take up again in the next class. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.